Hey, podcast people. Tony Stark here. The show is called Re-MCU. These guys had the brilliant idea to do something no one else has. Rewatch the Marvel Cinematic Universe and talk about it. Top-notch idea, fellas. Congrats. Anyway, let's see what brilliant thoughts come from this. Take it away, boys. Hello, and welcome to the sixth episode of Re-MCU. My name is Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And this is, of course, our podcast where we rewatch the Marvel Cinematic Universe and uh, talk about it, uh, you know, with some distance and, and, and time in between having the, the first time we saw it and the most recent time. Uh, today, we are up to the first big giant event, Cody, the Avengers. Yeah, this I remember, um, you know, it's it's funny to think. Yeah, I was thinking about this while I was watching the Avengers in that I can take myself back to. Um, what this was 2012, right? Yes. And um, and I remember having seen the MCU up until that point, and uh, seeing like the trailers and stuff for Avengers, and just thinking like, man, there's too many characters. How it's just not going to work. There's how do you put in this many characters? And then you look at that compared to like Avengers Endgame, where it's like triple the characters, and it's a it's it's an amazing like like wow, what a naive little thought where I was like six superheroes was too many. Yeah, uh, um, it's funny how big of a risk this seemed at the time. Oh my god, yeah! Like how how it was um, like no one really knew how it was going to work, and then I think it became uh, one of the not the biggest, but one of the biggest films of all time in that release, that summer release. Oh yeah, it was it was a massive monster hit. And uh, did this come out the same year as Dark Knight Rises, or am I going crazy? Yes, here? It, yes, it did, and we'll talk about that a little later. But yeah, it uh, 2012 was was both the Dark Knight Rises and uh, the Avengers, and this obviously bested the Dark Knight Rises, which I don't think was as strong a film as the Dark Knight. Obviously, no, no, no. Um, yeah. But yeah, the the idea that this thing was ever risky is really hard to think about now. Because it's just so ingrained in pop culture already. Mm-hmm. But this was, um, you know, so we this we're, this is the sixth movie in this series, and it was it's kind of the most um, immediately fantastical. I think. I think that's fair. I mean, uh, if you if you strip away whatever fantastical elements that Thor have uh, or Thor has, um, I think that that's fair to say. Um, but but I think that the way in which it sort of bridges the the you know the Thor stuff with the um, with the Captain America stuff. Who is now back? You know, it's the first time seeing really seeing Captain America in modern day times and stuff. And so, you know, you have to believe that this guy was frozen for years with a god from another planet. You know, <laughs> with with Tony Stark mixed in with Hulk, who's kind of like the first um, like transformative character where their you know appearance and makeup kind of changes that I can think of. So, yeah, I, I think that's true. So. The uh, the thing that that struck me most about rewatching this uh, right at this point was, outside of Thor, there seemed to be a somewhat grounded uh, sense in these films, like they were grounded in a reality, to a point. Um, as we talked about with the first Iron Man, it was very um, very much a product of the War on Terror, right? Uh, followed and Iron Man Two sort of had the same elements to it. The Captain America, you know, is is kind of a glossier uh, World War II, um, you know, a little bit of a revisionist history set up there. 
And then Thor is just it's basically an alien movie with, you know, in the in the New Mexico desert or wherever the hell they were. Uh, this is the first one that feels, I think, personally, out of what we've rewatched, the most comic booky, if that makes sense. The most just like they're fucking going for it. Yeah, I you know I I, I hesitate to to speak on this as I don't I, I was never a comic book reader, but I do I do know what you mean, um, and I and I and I and I think that I agree. Um, for some reason, I, I always go back to to, to Thor t- as well, being some, something maybe that I think may, maybe just because of the fantastical elements of, or the like the the he's a god and stuff makes it feel comic booky. But I think maybe like the are, are you talking about just like the premise and the setup and everything like that yeah. feels comic booky? Yeah, like, like the it, teaming up part, like the teaming up part and the the just sort of um, accepting elements as they come because right. you know. Um, and we, I think we talked about this too with the the way the Iron Man suit has evolved. Like it used to be a big deal for him to put it on, like it was a bunch of machinery and stuff. And as that that character Tony Stark progressed, it got like easier and easier <laughs> for him to apply the suit. By the it time became a watch, <laughs> yeah. Like in the, by the time uh, Infinity War came around, I think it was a necklace or like sunglasses. Yeah, and uh, you know this one, it, it still moves in that same direction, but it's still like. Uh, like a crazy sort of element, like he's walking on that platform on outside of the Stark Tower. Oh yeah, as yeah. it's removing the uh, the armor, and then the whole helicarrier thing. Um, it's just immediately sort of this jump up in technology, I guess, and um, you know the acceptance of it. Because, like I said, the the first Iron Man is is supposed to be our world at that point. You know, it's a they're, it's you know they're in Iraq or Afghanistan wherever they're at, mm-hmm. and you know they're taken hostage by terrorists. And- yeah, and I don't know if maybe that is because the Iron Man is is kind of a normal guy who's built a piece of technology, so it feels maybe a little bit more grounded in in reality and in in, in modern to- in like current times as you know versus you know someone who like like Thor or Hulk who are either gods or you know crazy beasts and stuff like that. Like I, I don't do you, it, maybe it could be that or something. I don't know. I mean, it, it, I don't think it's a bad thing. It's just the. It seems like the that I've noticed the major shift in this film compared to the the previous films, mm-hmm. and, and I don't. I don't think it's a bad thing. It's it's interesting to me that we, as you talked about, that this came out the same year as The Dark Knight Rises, which mm-hmm. you know Nolan's movies always sort of went through, you know, like a lot of effort to portray it as something that could really happen. Yeah, the the whole thing about Nolan stuff was that it was a, like really rooted in reality, and and it was very they were very grounded movies. Um, and I mean, I don't know. I mean, the MCU I feel like kind of goes back and forth on that because you have movies like, you know, it, it, so stuff like and we'll get to it at some point in time. But like, the Winter Soldier, for example, is like a political thriller, right? And it's right. completely rooted in reality. And then you have stuff like. Um, like Guardians of the Galaxy, for example, that has a talking raccoon, like you know, so it, it it's almost as if Marvel sort of tries to balance between those things, and uh, and I feel like Avengers is maybe like a a blend of the two, where it, it's those worlds colliding, and I think maybe that was why it was seen as a, a big leap, is is because you know I I think stuff like this lays the groundwork for something like Guardians of the Galaxy, 
to to take a big risk like a truly big risk with some of those characters like again a talking raccoon or Groot or whatever um and i think maybe people they were able to do that because people accepted you know you know the avengers being the first of those kind of really big swings yeah and i can remember having conversations with people at the time and maybe it was you maybe it was someone else you know wondering how um you know, would would you have Robert Downey Jr. on board in a movie with a talking raccoon? And, uh, you know, obviously, yes, you did eventually. But at the time, it seemed like a stretch because, you know, it, again, the Nolan's Dark Knight stuff was the biggest thing happening in superhero films at the time. Um, you know, Batman Begins was was pretty modest in 2005. And then the Dark Knight in 2008 was, you know, essentially the... <laughs> You know, it was such a massive hit and such a critical hit that it made the Oscars add five more slots to the best picture category. Right. And like, you know, I wouldn't call those realistic, uh, but they're rooted in a th- like its own reality. Like there's mm-hmm. no real shortcuts in there to, you know, everything's explained away as to, you know, why this exists and et cetera. And I think that, you know, when you get to Avengers and they have a helicarrier, like how does this thing fucking work? Uh, mm-hmm. And it doesn't really matter. You just it's just happening. You know, even you the know, first. Go ahead. I was just going to say just really quickly about the helicarrier. For some reason, every single time I've ever watched Avengers, I laugh at Samuel L. Jackson, his line about why am I the only person on this boat who does something? And <laughs> to me, I, I just always laugh because they're they're flying through the sky and he refers to it as a boat, which it is. But I just I don't know why like I, that that line in particular stands out to me as being funny. But I, that's yeah, neither here nor there. Well, there, then there's an, another scene later in the film where where the engines die and they're plummeting. Mm-hmm. But they're like like they'd fall like a rock. Yeah. Like if, if that thing were real, it would just fall from the sky and they're just like oh well we're we're losing altitude like no you'd fall you just fall right but yeah yeah there's no glide to this thing um yeah i mean it's it's um and, and i think it's it's a big difference and it, it kind of changed the language of these superhero films as we move forward um you know it it it's uh it's always been and, and maybe you don't remember this as much as i do because of, of how i grew up with it there always seemed to be some sort of self-consciousness to superhero films. Like, nothing really embraced the craziness of it. Like, I think, uh, you know, one of the best examples is, you know, the X-Men wearing, you know, black leather mm-hmm. in their film debut as opposed to, you know, whatever their costumes were. And, you know, if that film were remade today, whenever Marvel or Disney and Marvel Studios decide to finally do that, they won't be wearing black leather. They'll be wearing something along the lines of what you see in the comic books um, but there was there was always that self-consciousness to it, and I think this is the first real time that that hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really changed the way people watch these movies and the way these movies are produced mm-hmm. in that you can just, you know, you can stick... And, I mean, Captain America has the worst costume in this movie. But oh, yeah. that's that's decidedly Captain America. Like, there's no... Like, there's no sexing it up or making it cool or anything. That is a Captain America costume 100%. Yeah. And they did it. I mean, and they, they did in recent years, and it was even a joke in Avengers Endgame. Uh, or, yeah, Endgame it was. The yeah. uh, the America's ass joke. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, uh, um, you know, I think this, um, you know, 
obviously marked a big turning point for the MCU. Um, you know, it, it, I, I wrote this down and I, I wanted to mention it when I was watching it. It kind of feels like now, I, I know you're not a big gamer, right, Cody? But you have played video games in the past. I have, yeah. I, I actually, before uh, or when quarantine started, I bought a PS4 as an emergency purchase. <laughs> so I, I do have a console now. This sort of feels like going back and playing an older version of a game you loved. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, it'd be like going like like we're on Super Mario bro- Super Mario World just came out. Let's say. But you still go. You go back and play Super Mario Brothers. Like it's still a classic, and it still works. But it's mm-hmm. just so different mm-hmm. than where it ended up. Yeah, um, and I kind of feel that way. Yeah, and I, that's why I can't wait to get into the details of everything because I I did see it with a bit of a different perspective, and this is maybe the first one that I can that I can, because Avengers Avengers was such a, a an important movie for for this whole you know this whole comic book world, but also. You know, I think we both put it in our top tens that year, and um, and I really loved it, and I thought it was incredible, and one of the best comic book movies ever made, and and it, and I did have a slightly different opinion watching it um, back. Your ledger is dripping, it's gushing red, and you think saving a man no more virtuous than yourself will change anything? This is the basest sentimentality. This is a child at prayer, pathetic. You lie and kill in the service of liars and killers. You pretend to be separate, to have your own code, something that makes up for the horrors. But they are part of you, and they will never go away. I won't touch Barton, not until I make him kill you, slowly, intimately, in every way he knows you fear. And then he'll wake just long enough to see his good work. And when he screams, I'll split his skull. This is my bargain, you mewling quim. You're a monster. (laughs) Oh, no. You brought the monster. So this was written and directed by Joss Whedon, who at that point had been kind of kicked around Hollywood, um trying to get something off the ground. I don't know how familiar you were with his career post Buffy, the vampire slayer, Cody, but, uh, there was, um, the short lived Fox TV series, Firefly, Mm -hmm. which people seem to, which people loved. And it's a great series. And it was always, there was always calls to bring it back. And, uh, we actually made a film, uh, sequel to it called Serenity that, didn't go anywhere it just sort of died at the box office and then he had um another tv show called dollhouse and at some point sorry at some point he was supposed to make a wonder woman film right and that and, fell apart and during this time frame too he was also um writing comic books too so that was his yes. kind of connection into that world so this this is the first film um in the series from a like a singular writer director mm-hmm and how do you how do you see the film as as a as a Whedon film and and does it fit in as a a, a Marvel film outside of that? Well, it, I think it does because I I think that I think that that you know so Whedon's talents for from here and always have been his writing right so that's yeah you know Whedon has been known for his writing as a screenwriter done a lot of screenwriting work. Um, you know, outside of the stuff that he's done and stuff, he's he's a guy who's often brought in to do 
um, you know, rewrites on stuff. I think he's a credited writer on one of the Toy Story movies. I and, believe the first one. Yeah, if I'm not yeah. Mistaken. And wasn't he even a writer on like Roseanne and stuff back in the day? Uh, I don't know. I know. Didn't um, yeah, he wrote. Was... He was a he was a staff writer on uh, Roseanne in Parenthood. Uh, and then he was as a script doctor. He was an uncredited writer on The Getaway, Speed, Waterworld, and Twister. Oh yeah, and by Parenthood, we're talking about like the '90s version, not the, yes, not the uh, Jason Kadams version. That's correct. Yeah. And he did yeah. uh, Titan AE, um, Alien Resurrection. That was another big one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So 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 he was like a he was an oftentimes like either a, a punch up guy or uh or a, a guy who would uh you know come in and, and again be a script doctor and stuff like that so his writing has always been you know one of the things he's been known for and i think that's the thing more so than anything that whedon brings to the movie which is that every character is uh is like the best written version that you've seen thus far where um like eric, eric like and again it's 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 a lot of snappy and snarky dialogue um a lot of quick one-offs or, or um, you know, funny non-sequiturs or funny little throw-in lines, um, especially from he, – he seems to have a really good grasp on uh, Iron Man and, and Tony Stark, yeah. um, which he, he really has a lot of fun with that. And also, I, I think and, – and honestly, I think this is a Whedon thing more so than anything else uh, – is that I think that Loki in the movie – this is the movie where he really became, like, super popular um, because um, – uh, you know, I, I think Marvel has had up until this point a villain problem, and and I think after, especially after watching the first Thor movie, seeing Loki as kind of a nothing character, like like no personality, no anything, uh, or and and then here he gets to be, you know, he gets to be evil, and he has a he gets to use the term mewling quim, uh, <laughs> yeah, which. Yeah. which which I think when everyone uh, went home and looked up what that actually meant was a bit in shock, and, and I still kind of can't believe it's in a Marvel movie. Um, yeah. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I think that because of that, I, I think as a, as a script writer, I think what he does really well within the movie is is creating the internal conflict um, between the group before having them band together to to ultimately fight you know, Loki and the Chitari and everything. So, you know, from, from Whedon, I think the thing that he brings to the table is, um, is a really good grasp on characters and, uh, in, in, in specifically the dialogue for the characters. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's one of the things that's kind of unfortunate is that there's two sort of big plot points that I think have been retconned in this mm-hmm. film. Obviously the agent Coulson thing, um, yeah. which is the motivation that brings the the team together uh, I, I haven't watched Agent of, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. since the first season, so I don't know what the fuck's happening on it. But bringing that character back after dying um, to, to sort of inspire the Avengers is a pretty cheap move on Marvel's part. And then, um, I don't know if you've heard this, this is a pretty recent development in that um, Loki sup- it, it has been officially retconned in the film to have been under like Thanos mind control the whole time yes i have heard that so like his motivations aren't like it it no longer means anything (laughs) that he's this evil and it renders certain scenes of the movie just totally nonsensical as such as the scene where he's you know um in meeting with whoever that lackey of thanos is or thanos is and i think that has more well everything to do with 
you know Tom Hiddleston's popularity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but it does suck that those two big plot points, well, you know, one small plot point and one real character arc are really sort of moot now. Right. Because because it Hiddleston's great in the film as the villain and I mean he's he's nasty and and mean and and like sarcastic and and funny at times. But, you know, that to make it just be some sort of tragic hero thing you know, eight years later now is, is not my ideal way for this movie to have gone. Um, but, but other than Hiddleston, um, you've got the same, uh, cast, uh, same people filling out the cast that have been in these previous films, obviously Robert Downey Jr. As Stark, Chris Evans, Captain America, Chris Hemsworth, Thor, uh, you get a bigger part for Scarlett Johansson, um, less of a, um, a spy and more of an ass kicker, I think in Black Mm -hmm. Widow. Yeah. Um, you get um, the unfortunate uh, uh, <laughs> brainwashed Jeremy Renner. Uh, yeah. Um, and then uh, uh, this is the first appearance of Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner taking over the role from Edward Norton. And in a scene that I feel like totally explains away everything that happened in that film, like any kind of lingering doubts, uh, like any kind of lingering villains, because like Tim Blake Nelson's character was still around after... Um, the Incredible mm-hmm. Hulk, and mm-hmm. there's like a line from from Black Widow that says that she like they like took care of these people that were coming after him, something like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of of Ruffalo in the part? Uh, I I mean I definitely think it's an upgrade over Edward Norton, who I, I think you know as we talked about a few episodes ago was just kind of like a really self serious and kind of self important take on the character and. Um, and just no personality, you know. I I I think the biggest part with the biggest problem with the Incredible Hulk was that, uh, you know, Norton had no real personality to Bruce Banner, and um, it was much I more think, technical, if I recall, is what we we talked about. Yeah, and just he was just a, a boring scientist, basically. And and I think uh, you know, with with this with with Ruffalo, I think Ruffalo brings. Um, I mean, I think he's I think he's a little bit more likable as just a character, but. I, 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 I sort of like what Ruffalo does in that he is like he's aware of who he is. He he's aware of the Hulk and and again refers to him as the other guy, you know, throughout the course of the movie. And um I, I like that he's sort of um you know, he's 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 sort of there there's a sense of like shame and um and, and discomfort with, with his ability to do that and you can tell that there's some internal conflict there about you know, when you find him, he's in a place exiled, basically, to keep everyone else safe from him. And and again, you know, he he there's a there's a line in there um, about him like trying to kill himself, and he spit out the bullet and stuff like that. Yeah, and I yeah. just I think that's a really interesting character touch uh, that's put in there that I really like. And 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 then of course you get you know once once uh, you know things kick into gear, you get. Just as from Hulk as a character, it's the first time I, I think I can remember, um, and, and some of the the bigger laughs that came because I mean, look, the movie's super funny, and I think um, the biggest laughs came at the expense of of, of Hulk, in my opinion. Um, both when he um, his rivalry with Thor and, and punching Thor, and then um, his ultimate disposal. I remember I laughed my ass off the first time I was in theaters watching what Hulk does to Loki. Oh, <laughs> I mean, the, that's a, that's end. a great great moment. It's, it's I mean, such it, a good gag, man, and it's such a crowd pleasing uh, moment in the film that it, it. I mean, I remember it being a huge applause pop. Yeah, 
Um, so, uh, um, again, let's, let's go back to, to Jeremy Renner. Um, this Hawkeye, um, and, and Renner, uh, for the most part of his career has seemed like something that, that people keep wanting to try and see if it takes and it never really does. Um, yeah, I, I just kind of wonder what the, the thinking is keeping this character around so long. Um, Personally, I, don't, I mean, I, I get the trying it, yeah, at, at this point. But but the idea that he's going to have his own Marvel um, or Disney Plus show, I don't get it. It's weird to me that they have that they can't figure it out, and they've tried multiple times to figure it out. I mean, look, I think, and to be honest, if Whedon did one thing wrong with this movie, it's that I don't think he does anything with Hawkeye, and I think. The, the the fact that that Renner's first big part in a movie because he has one sequence in Thor, yeah, in his in his first big appearance is is as Hawkeye, he's under a fucking spell for you know two thirds of the movie, and then when he is active, he's just like sh- shooting weak ass arrows and people like it just it's just not a, like compared to all the other superheroes, it's such in my opinion a boring and um an an uninteresting like not only character but like power that he has um and and they don't and like nothing he does with his power is even that interesting other than just shooting a bow and arrow he's basically katniss at this point uh, <laughs> so like you know um it, i i think the, the big problem is that when they try to do something with him it's not interesting so like even when you see him in avengers endgame where he's like you know samurai hawkeye or whatever R- R- ronan yeah ronan when he's like a he's like a contract killer that's fucking boring you know like and it's and it's i don't know if it's just the construction of the character in that he doesn't have anything cool that he does other than shoot a bow and arrow or i I, and i don't i don't dislike jeremy renner as an actor i think he's a really good actor and i've seen him in multiple things that that are great but i think he's just kind of a blank canvas and in, in everything he does in this series it's verboten now but um uh, he's really good in that episode of louis oh my god like- yeah um, yeah, I mean, it's lost to the time and I forgot sexual, about that sexual misconduct. But yeah, he's really, really good. Um, but yeah, th- when th- they keep throwing him into this action star role, I don't get it because um, he was that way in the a few Mission Impossible films, too. Mm-hmm. And I and, just and, and beyond Louie, which he is great in. um He's also, I mean, the town is great. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And you know, Oscar nominated for that role. He's great in, um, he, you know, the Hurt Locker. He's really good in. He was really good in. Um, uh, there was another movie that I can't. I think it might be called. Uh, man, I can't remember. He was really good in it though. <laughs> just <laughs> just yeah, trust but, me. Yeah, just trust me. Uh, but but yeah, I, I, he's a good actor. I just I don't. Man, I just don't know what. What, I, maybe they don't know what to do with the character of Hawkeye, but man, what talk about like sticking out like a sore thumb as a weak character? Well, and, and the fact that they've they've held on to it for so long that he gets to survive over Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow in Endgame, mm-hmm. um, you know, and ob- ostensibly to for some sort of payback that she owed him for whatever that's mentioned in this film, kind of alluded to, um, and he gets a, the big moment um, in. Age of Ultron, which is, a, uh, I can't wait to talk about that movie because I don't have good memories of it at all. I don't, I don't remember it at all. But he has that, you know, he has the scene with uh, um, Linda Cardinelli. Uh, is that her? Cardinelli? I can't remember. 
I think it's Cardellini. Cardellini. Sorry. Right? Whatever. Whoever. From Freaks and Geeks and Scooby-Doo and all that stuff. Anyway. Uh, yeah, Cardellini. Um, you know, where he's kind of grounded as the, the person with the family, and then that's kind of his motivation in in-game. Or that is his motivation in in-game. And, and I just don't think it ever really works, because I feel like he's supposed to be the regular guy, but it never really comes across... And then, you know, obviously spending the first two-thirds of this film hypnotized and then just all of a sudden not being hypnotized anymore is, I think, really kind of stunted the character forever. Yeah, I mean, I I think you're totally... I mean, that's the big introduction to him, and he's a nothing character under a spell. And I and I just think that it's, it's just an, an inauspicious debut, um, for sure. This sort of, as you mentioned uh, to me uh, previously before we started recording... This sort of sets up the Captain America um, Iron Man rivalry, the Stark um, Steve Rogers rivalry. Yeah, in, in in a way that I think you know, like so we see this here, we see this again in Civil War, then we see it you know multiple times down the line. Whenever we have these team up movies, it's always Tony and and Steve that are at odds with each other. And I think that's the thing, like I said earlier, that that stuck out to mo- the most to me when I watched it the first time was like, hey, I, I really like how. They have to solve this internal conflict between each other or w- with each other before they kind of um, take on the, you know, the bad guys of the movie and uh, and, and sort of um, the way that they juxtapose Captain America's old fashioned nature to um, to Tony Stark's you know modernism I think is a really interesting way of doing it. Now that being said, you know there's um, there's some real cheesy lines from and i think again the thing that i noticed a little bit more and we'll talk about this in a minute is that the movie's cheesier than i remember it being um (laughs) and it like there's that line that captain america has about thor and 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 it's like um it's like it's it's captain america talking to natasha saying something like there's only one god and i don't think he dresses like that yeah 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 it's very corn fed like I was yeah. like, ugh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. but you know, um, but yeah, I, I, I really like the, the tension that builds up between the Avengers, especially when you, when you have like Hulk, who's in the middle of it, trying not to Hulk out. There's that scene that happens in that laboratory that I think like right before, um, they get attacked and before Hulk Hulk's out for the first time, which I really like the setup of that where they're just all bickering and then suddenly have to, are forced to work together. Yeah, and 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 you know, for the what was surprising to me is that like Stark defers to to Tony, I'm sorry to to Steve in this film, like he lets the him take you know take the lead and, and give the orders, which is not something I remembered. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing about about Captain America at this point is he's still a soldier, so he's mm-hmm. still like you know he had he has his orders and he's doing that. And I think it's a it's interesting to see where that character ended up. Uh, from this point, and, and by in-game and Infinity War, and of course that's through the events of Winter Soldier mm-hmm. and Civil War and all that. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know that. Again, I, I still think, um, you know, uh, um, uh, Steve Rogers has the the most the the most um, on track arc throughout the whole thing. I still feel like Tony kind of wavers to, as to what his his principles are. Um, but I don't think that's really on display much in this movie, but you, you mm-hmm. can kind of see the seeds of it, I think, in that, you know, 
you know, he Stark never wanted to work with anyone, and then he has a man crush on Bruce Banner, and then everything's fine. Right, yeah. And and I mean, the, the whole idea behind Stark is that, you know, he doesn't play well with others and, and, and that kind of thing. And I think that... Um, you know that that I believe that causes a conflict. It's what somewhere around Iron Man two, where Fury wants to band them up, but is hesitant to let Robert Downey Jr. Well, yeah, that's the that. that's like the stinger of Iron Man yeah. two is that he's not part of it. Like he doesn't like he won't play well with others and, and is not invited. Well, which is interesting considering the 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 move. This movie hits kind of hits the ground running, and, and where they're like, yeah. Uh, you need to lead this versus being like, I don't know. I don't know if you can do it. Guys. Call it, Captain. All right, listen up. Until we can close that portal, our priority is containment. Barton, I want you on that roof. Eyes on everything. Call out patterns and strays. Stark, you've got the perimeter. Anything gets more than three blocks out, you turn it back or you turn it to ash. Can you give me a lift? Right. Better clench up, Legolas. Thor, you got to try and bottleneck that portal. Slow him down. You got the lightning. Light the bastards up. You and me, we stay here on the ground. We keep the fighting here. And Hulk. <sighs> Smash. So you mentioned this a little bit earlier. You you noticed after, you know, eight years after the fact, how it's a little cheesier than you remember. Yeah. How how so, besides the, the god line you mentioned? Well, I think that the 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 teaming like as good as some of the dialogue is, I think a lot of it is cheesy. Um, and 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 you know that that line is obviously the you know one of the standouts. But but I mean it's not it's not wholly out of place either. Um, and I think kind of some of the element, I I think I do think it takes a little bit to get going. And I think once you you get there, uh, to the to the big climax of the movie, there's a lot of um kind of cheesy uh even visual stuff like that that hero shot of them like the circular shot of them all standing there yeah i remember thinking that that was such a cool shot back in the day and and, and now i'm like eh, that's kind of a like a, a real lame comic booky type of shot and i get that it's iconic and stuff but i, I don't know and I, I feel like some of the um uh, some of the character elements too of uh of the um of like the you know and it's weird because there's some stuff i like and then there's the same character developments that i didn't like because while i like the rivalry um in the in the conflict that's there it felt a little bit less dramatic when i was watching it this time around like it felt a little bit surface level and um and you know and i don't know if that's context that does it or or just you know watching it in a vacuum but um I feel like the stakes were not as high as I remember them being when I was watching. Yeah, I can see that. And I think that maybe just it's that old video game effect thing again, where it doesn't like, you know, what's coming next. So, you know, fighting off these alien invaders in New York doesn't really compare to, you know, the world devastation that comes later in the series. Uh, You know, maybe that's that I can see that being the case for some of this when I look back at it. Um, you know, one of the things that I, again, I mentioned the costumes for Captain America looks terrible. <laughs> um, and I think that's one of the cheesier elements. And I think, I don't think Thor is really treated as, um, as well as he should be in the film. And, I, and again, that's probably looking back now 
with how well received and and how well done the funnier Thor is now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's he's kind of really stodgy and, and and not very interesting in this film, and I I think that the, it did him a bit of a disservice. But you know uh, the the rights have been wrong the wrongs have been righted later, but it doesn't uh, right now. It's just sort of it's kind of the, the Stark and uh, and Rogers show. It is, and and again, I, I the, the funny. I mean, the thing about it is that I think every character has the ability to be funny throughout it, and I think the 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 thing I I, I took most from it was that it's just a super entertaining movie, and I think there's yeah. a lot of real funny, uh, like smartly written stuff, like the like the uh, Captain America, uh, flying monkeys reference is yes, a great. Yeah, that's a that's a that's turned into a meme. Yeah, uh, on its own. Yeah, I, I think that's a great bit. I like the and even in that same scene is the guy who like there's a, that little joke about the guy playing Galaga, uh, and then like they cut to him and he's playing like yeah. just like little shit like that. That's like like I said, little non sequiturs or little throwaway or cutaway moments. Um, I think Whedon like is clearly having a ton of fun writing these characters in 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 that way, and I think that he keeps a really solid energy throughout, even if the events on screen aren't as um as thrilling as i thought that they once were yeah i can agree with that it doesn't you know it's it's lost a little bit of its luster you know because it's it's one-upped itself so often since then well and the problem i think is is that with like even though loki is the villain of the movie he has an army of again these like these like mm-hmm. personalityless you know monsters who I, it's hard like I mean when you have a guy like Thanos who you are who who they are fighting against who's ever powerful or like you know something that like Black Panther did with the villain with Killmonger and stuff like you have these these people to 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 latch onto and then the the big threat in this is just an army of like mechanical whatever the fuck those things are aliens and oh yeah um, and then and, the, and then they collect they collapse when uh you know when the the connection is severed to mm-hmm. to wherever yeah I mean, it's it's not ideal. it's very generic please tell me you're going to appeal to my humanity uh actually i'm planning to threaten you <laughs> you should have left your armor on for that yeah seen a bit of mileage and you've got the uh glow stick of destiny would you like a drink Stalling me won't change anything. No, no, no. Threatening. No drink, you sure? I'm having one. Vegetari are coming. Nothing will change that. What have I to fear? The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Yes. I've met them. Yeah. Takes us a while to get any traction, I'll give you that one. But let's do a head count here. Your brother, the demigod, a super soldier, a living legend who kind of lives up to the legend, a man with breathtaking anger management issues, a couple of master assassins, and you, big fella, you've managed to piss off every single one of them. That was the plan. Not a great plan. When they come, and they will, they'll come for you. I have an army. We have a Hulk. Oh, I thought the beast had wandered off. You're missing the point. There's no throne. There is no version of this where you come out on top. We talked about this a little bit, but the movies it was up against in 2012, of course, the big one is The Dark Knight Rises, which uh, was pretty hotly anticipated by all of us. And I think I think um, 
maybe you don't agree with me, but you were at the screening, right? For the press screening for Dark Avengers. Oh, Dark oh Night yes. Rise. Yep, yep. At uh, River Center. Probably the worst press screening I've ever been to. Because yeah, the, the sound was so terrible and worthless. That, uh, well, there was, was already there was already that controversy when the footage for Dark Knight Rises came out, where Bane was unintelligible, and yeah. they actually, I think Nolan actually edited the film to make him a little bit more intelligible because I think that was by design initially. Well, yeah, that was the whole thing is that he was supposed to be um, like you couldn't understand what he was saying, basically, and, and and I remember Nolan basically saying like, "Nope, that's the film," and then it was clearly changed for the release and I, it instead of Bane's voice being unintelligible it sounded like it was coming from everywhere yeah the mix was real fucked up yeah I, but even so I think the mix at this theater was way off mm-hmm. at the River Center uh, IMAX but uh, not not as uh, kind of a disappointment of a film I, I'd say wouldn't totally, you? totally agree I, and I loved uh, Batman Begins and I loved The Dark Knight and I remember just sort of watching The Dark Knight Rises and being like, this is it? Like, this is the way you're going to conclude some of the best comic book movies of all time? Um, I, I didn't like Bane as a villain. Uh, I didn't like that Bane was eventually, uh, like, uh, like his his final moments are him as, like, a crying little baby. Like, it's just it's <laughs> just a lot of weird questions. I didn't like the Catwoman stuff. I, I, it, I To me, The Dark Knight Rises was a total misfire. Yeah, I, I don't think it's bad, but I, I do think it's uh, it's kind of loses the the momentum that the Dark Knight had. Uh, also uh, released this year, and it seems like it was a million years ago. Uh, the Amazing Spider Man, all but oh, forgotten shit, the, the, by me. The, that's Andrew, the first Garfield. Andrew Garfield. Yeah, um, which I did not like at all. And oh, it made I the, yeah. It had the it did the it had the cardinal sin of redoing the entire origin story of yeah. Spider-Man and basically just changing a few things, but then making um, Peter sort of a chosen one character with his parents being whatever the fuck they were, like some sort of spies. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't like this movie at all. And I, I never liked Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker no, uh, Emma Stone was was fine, um, but this whole thing it was, it, I, I it's hard to believe this came out the same year as Avengers, because just the like this killed the standalone Sony Spider Man franchise. Well, this this started on it because Amazing Spider Man two, a movie I've actually never seen. Really, strangely enough, yeah, and I don't really know how I escaped it. I don't remember. It's but, it is not good. <laughs> yeah, but that but those two films like they they literally killed the franchise that had yeah. been one of the most successful of all time the Raimi versions. Uh, but I, I just I have nothing but bad memories about this film. It, it, I don't know if you you remember. I do believe it felt like it was written like it was an, an adapted screenplay from Spider Man Four because I yeah. think. Um, Who's the uh, Dylan? Uh, who's the act, the character actor Dylan something that played the professor in? Um, oh, um, uh, shit! I, I, Dylan Baker. Yes, uh, had been had been playing the um, the I can't remember the character's name, but the one who becomes the lizard in very mm-hmm. in the previous Raimi films. 
and then they switch it to Reese uh, Ethan's. Uh, so it felt like it was just a repurposed Spider-Man Four, and then it uh, it from there because it, it had Gwen Stacy, and I think uh, do you remember Bryce Dallas Howard was Gwen Stacy in Spider-Man Three for yeah. no particular reason? <laughs> yep, yep, I remember that. So it just felt like this repurposed version of Spider-Man Four, but as a as a completely different you know a a, a total reboot of the character. And man, I can't remember ever being so disappointed. Um, yeah, and, and I, that, at that point, Andrew Garfield was super hot from Social Network. Yeah, where, yeah. Where people kind of saw him and was like, "Oh shit, this guy's a great actor." And and I think, um, uh, it, it, man, just like, just a, a, a like a, a not a bad take on Peter Parker, but like a real annoying one. Like he was kind of like a skater kind of. I don't even vibe. remember. It, yeah, it, it just a really, a, a, and especially seeing how good the two spy, like MCU Spider-Man movies have been with Tom Holland, it's amazing that these two movies even exist. Like it, it's <laughs> it, it's crazy to me that like between because Raimi stuff, obviously the first two, I mean Spider-Man two is great. I watched the first Spider-Man recently and it doesn't hold up all that well. And three is a fucking disaster. But um, but like. Spider- it, yeah, Spider Man Two. Spider Man Two was was the high water mark for a while. Yeah, I, it was. It was like Spider Man Two and X Two were like the two big like high yeah. water mark for comic book movies, and then um, and then like, and then and then of course you know this new take on Spider Man I think is is the best one thus far. I think Tom Holland is the best Peter Parker um, there's been thus far, and 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 it's weird to me because Andrew Garfield is such a footnote on the character that I that like there were two movies where this was supposed to reboot everything and they were so bad that it killed <laughs> it killed the Spider-Man who with with was the biggest comic book character around in like the like the mid to early to mid 2000s and they they you know destroyed it well and and, and that's why the the Marvel deal was was something that was like a no-brainer for Sony because it was they you know here you get to play with these characters but they still got all the money and it it just made everyone happy like fans and everyone and then now they seem to be trying to spin it off again with venom and uh morbius morbius is pushed back to next year i believe already mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah i just god we got to we got to cover these in like bonus up when we run out of movies we got to go back and cover the amazing no i i totally movies. i 100% agree um uh so moving on another one another film i've actually never seen I've only heard good things about uh, is Dread. Oh, you know what? I have complicated feelings about Dread. Uh huh. It is, Why is that? Es- it is essentially the same exact plot as the Raid. Right, and, I've heard that. And it took a lot of flack for that. Um, and I mean, and I, when I say same exact plot, I mean like the same exact plot. Um, where they, where they literally have to like go floor by floor or whatever and, and take down people. But, you know, I, I didn't, I I know that a lot of people like it. It, It's, you know, it's, it's more of a cult film than anything else, um, at this point in time. Um, but I remember, so I love the raid movies. Um, and so I remember thinking, well, this is just like a shitty cheap remake of, um, of the raid, uh, an unofficial remake, but yeah, it, it, I have not seen it since it came out. And I wonder if I would have any difference of opinion. I think one of the big deals about it was, um, cause obviously there was a judge dread film in the nineties. I don't know if you saw that one with Sylvester Stallone and, uh, Rob Schneider. Um, 
which was not a great take on the character. And this one um, is pretty praised for, for being so like he, he Carl Urban plays Dread and never takes off his helmet. Like right. you never see his face, mm-hmm. uh, which is a big deal um, for the comic book. Gets what the character was. It just never did that. And um, I, I only heard good things about that. And then uh, that something I didn't realize till looking it up. Written and produced by Alex Garland, who of course did uh, hmm. um, uh, Ex Machina and uh, Annihilation and Devs, which I've heard is is pretty good too. Yeah, yeah, I've heard it's good too. I haven't had a chance to get into it yet though. Yeah. Um. So another film uh that was uh on the list uh that's this is kind of a stretch, but a uh, comic book film is uh, Men in Black Three. Did you ever see oh, Men in Black Three? I did. I did. I do remember that. Um. Yeah, uh, I remember. I remember thinking that. So that was the one with uh, with Josh Brolin and um, right. Yeah, yeah. As the young Agent K. Yeah, I I, I was. I remember. Agents. I remember not being super enthused with that movie. You know what's funny is that recently, I went back and watched the first Men in Black. That movie's fucking great. Oh, it is. No, I love the first one. It's so so good, and not only that, but like you you and I think in recent history, this has been something that's been talked about a lot. But like Vincent D'Onofrio in that movie is like out of this world great. Oh yeah, uh, sugar and water. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what's I his remember... name? Like your your skin's falling off her body. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a great film. It, it's it's super super funny and super entertaining, and it's like Will Smith at like what what seems like the height of his you know popularity. Um, and, uh, and then I remember men in black too, because it had Johnny Knoxville in it. And I was a big jackass fan at the time. And I think that, that was one of his first like big acting roles, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, that movie's terrible though. Oh, it's, it's so bad. <laughs> and I remember men in black three being fine, but nothing that, that I enjoyed on any level at all. Mostly because I thought, you know, it, I, I thought the Josh Brolin, Tommy Lee Jones impression was kind of not f- fun for me. Uh, it was it was fine. I, I think one of the <laughs> if I'm if I remember remembering this correctly, um, Will Smith goes back in time to mm-hmm. the '60s, and that's where he meets Josh Brolin. And then, like it's around the time of the Kennedy assassination. Is that what I'm? Is uh, hold on, I gotta look this up because I can't remember. Oh no, it's Apollo Eleven. Okay, mm-hmm. um, sorry, I was thinking Kennedy, but like that would make. Uh, like, cause, cause then, uh, Will Smith's character Jay runs into his younger self, so that mm-hmm. makes the character like almost fifty years old, right? Which I never got, uh, that being his age, because I thought like in the in the first film he's supposed to be like this young hotshot cop, right? He's but supposed to be like in his twenties, right? Yeah, but that would have put him like in his mid thirties. Yeah, I just don't, I just don't think it matches up at all. Um, I, I don't, I'm, obviously they don't give a shit, but, uh, um, this has a crazy cast, uh, uh, Nicole Scherzinger, the, from the Pussycat Dolls, mm-hmm. uh, um, Michael Stuhlbarg, uh, Stuhlbarg, who, oh, yeah. uh, he's actually really good in this movie. He's kind of yeah. like this gentle alien, um, uh, Jermaine Clement is in it. I remember uh, that. Emma Thompson, this is Emma, where Emma Thompson took over from, uh, <laughs> Rip Torn when he, like, had a DUI. <laughs> Or something before he died. Yeah, man. This as a quick aside. Did you ever see Men in Black International? With... I have. I have not. Oh. <laughs> it is one of the worst move, like worst studio movies I've seen in a long time. And it's it's a technically a sequel, right? Because Emma Thompson 
reprises her role. I do believe that is the case, yeah. Yeah, I have not seen it. It it did not um it did not appeal to me at all. Oh uh, man, it is fucking horrendous. This song did have a uh a, the Men in Black 3 did have a song by Pitbull on the soundtrack called Back in hmm. Time. God, you know what? And and even the first film um, even the goddamn uh, Men in Black song by Will Smith is great. Like, oh, I mean, yeah. it's not a it's <laughs> not a great song, but it's fucking fun as shit. Humans, they are not the cowering wretches we were promised. They stand. They are unruly, and therefore cannot be ruled. To challenge them is to court death. Avengers has two stingers, one famously added after the fact. I think it was added after our original press screening, too, where uh, the the team uh, meets to eat shawarma. <laughs> yeah, um, based on that, that was added Tony, after the press screener. Based on a line from Tony Stark. And, and one of the interesting things about that, uh, I don't know if you've heard this before, but if you look at uh, Steve Rogers, like you never see his mm-hmm. full face, like he's resting his, his hand on his or his face on his fist. Yeah. Because... Uh, Chris Evans had a beard for Snowpiercer mm. and uh, they put like some prosthetic over it, but it didn't look right. So he was just hiding it. Yeah, I did. I did see that. <laughs> I looked for that this past time. See, that that just reminds me of the there's my my favorite funny part of the movie is at the end when um like right before the shawarma line, they go over to Tony who's like laying on the ground and he's just like he's like screamed at by Hulk and wakes up and like, and like they make a comment about winning and he's just like, Oh, yay. (laughs) For some reason that line and that delivery of it while he's laying on the ground incapacitated and he like puts his arm up. I, I, I believe I, that is just a really funny part for me, but the shawarma thing is, I think a funny payoff of just like a random scene, but that's not the, that's not the thing that, that is like the big moment. Yeah, that's that is actually um, kind of our first real look at Thanos. Yeah, pre Josh uh, Brolin. Yeah, and 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 very uh, not very different looking, but but quite different looking, more mm-hmm. uh, like like a darker purple. Um. So so the whole the whole point of Loki's story was he was doing the bidding of Thanos to try to get mm-hmm. the the Tesseract, um, and take over Earth. I can't remember what the plot was exactly it all kinds of bleeds together um but this is the first real look at him and then i think he spends like like three more movies just waiting around yeah i think i think his next big appearance if i'm not mistaken is in guardians of the galaxy Uh, there's there's one and i i want to say it's age of ultron or something where he just says something like fine i'll do it myself and then that's but by that point, it's been like two years. Yeah, gone but, by. but there's actually time spent with him in Guardians, right? That's the first time there's actual like Josh Brolin I, is really. I believe so because that 
like isn't that the part with Stan Lee also? Mm. Or am I thinking of something? No, Stan Lee's on the the one the planet with John C. Riley. Um, yeah, man, it's is, been so long before. since I've seen these movies. I know, I know, that's all running together. Uh, so yeah, this is um, this is where it really f- like feels like it. Like, all right, they're going for it all the way with this mm-hmm. uh, Thanos thing and. Um, Shit, I, I I would be lying to you if I thought it would have worked back then. But it did, and here we are with the biggest movie in the world being about a purple alien. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's surprising to me how, how different it is, how different it was since then, from then to now. I want to know why Loki let us take him. He's not leading an army from here. I don't think we should be focusing on Loki. That guy's brain is a bag full of cats. You could smell crazy on him. I've care how you speak. Loki is beyond reason, but he is of Asgard, and he is my brother. He killed 80 people in two days. He's adopted? I think it's about the mechanics. Iridium, what do they need the Iridium it's for? It's a stabilizing agent. So I'm just saying, take a weekend, I'll fly you to Portland. Keep love alive. Means, portal won't collapse on itself like it did at S.H.I.E.L.D. No hard feelings, point break. You got a mean swing. Also, means the portal can open as wide and stay open as long as Loki wants. Uh, raise the missing mass. Ship the top sails. Batman is playing Galaga. Thought we wouldn't notice, but we did. How does Fury even see these? He turns. Sounds exhausting. So where would you place it now in, from what we've seen so far of the MCU in this rewatch, where would you place event, the Avengers? Well, I think I would I would place it at the top. I would place it just above Iron Man. Um, I like I said we said before I forgot how good Iron Man was, um, and I think this is a better movie all around. Um, and I think if, as far as its influence, I think I think the movie gets bumped up like an extra half a letter grade or whatever you want to call it um, as a result of its influence and the way that it started things and, and the monumental task this must have been to put together the effort. You know, I, I would have, I would have, you know, on rewatch maybe given it a B, but on, uh, you know, putting it into context, I think it would be a B plus, which would stand it um, at the top uh, thus far of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, I do think it's uh, the top so far. I, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty tight race. Um, well, I think it's the tops easily, um, but I think second and third still for me is a pretty tight race between um, the first Avenger and Iron Man. Uh, I just I just prefer the Captain America character over Tony Stark, so that's the only mm-hmm. reason there's competition. Uh, so uh, moving forward, it's uh, the next film in the series is Iron Man three, and you have a, a special guest for that episode. Yeah, uh, so my friend and um, comedian Jerry Rocha, who if you've listened to our other podcasts, is on the first two episodes of Quarantine Stream. Um, he. It, Iron Man 3 is, is and he can tell you more about it next time, but one of his favorite, if not his favorite, MCU movie, um, which is very interesting because I do not have fond memories of Iron Man 3 at all, um, and I really didn't like it, and um, and Jerry loves it and is a staunch defender of it. So he, when, when I told him we were doing this podcast, he was like, you got to let me on for Iron Man 3. So uh, uh, <laughs> he will be joining us for that episode to kind of break it down. I remember the the one thing I remember about Iron Man three that stands out to me is that by the end of that film, the the iron the Tony Stark at the end of that film does not fit with the Tony Stark at the beginning of Age of mm-hmm. Ultron. Like yeah, I think it's the, I think it's the kid storyline that really 
fucked it up for me. I didn't I didn't like that relationship in that movie. Yeah, I, I honestly don't remember much about the story. I remember there was some some great effects in there. Um some crazy stuff like the the whole uh like president and vice president falling out of a plane or whatever it was that was like really done with real skydivers. Yeah, like you it know seems what? nonsensical. I, I just don't I don't remember the movie. I you know, oh, you know what? I there's one thing I really hate too about it, which is the Ben Kingsley Mandarin stuff. Oh, yes. That yes, stuff yes. that I and I'm interested to see how it holds up because when I that shit made me angry when I watched it the first time. <laughs> yeah. Uh okay, so that's going to be uh, our next episode. Meanwhile, if you want to listen to our other podcasts, we have our original show, The Cinesnob Podcast. Uh, that's our weekly review show. Um, right now, of course, we're in our quarantine uh, mode, reviewing things that are on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, other VOD platforms. Uh, and then we have Stream, of course, which uh, you spoke about. We have two episodes out right now with comedian Jerry Rocha. Uh, the first episode, we recommended some films to him, and he recommended one to us, and then we talk about those films in the second episode. We got another episode in the can uh, coming up soon-ish. When are we going to release that? I think uh, probably pretty soon, t- right? Probably Tuesday. Tuesday. Or whenever Wednesday. you're listening to this, yeah. the Tuesday. The Tuesday yeah. after you're listening to this, whenever <laughs> that may be. <laughs> or if yeah, you're listening the, to it in the future, it's yeah. already out. Yeah, uh, um, with our uh, our friend Greg Sestero uh, from The Room and The Disaster Artist yeah, and uh, Best Friends. Uh, yeah, if you want to reach us, you can email us at podcast at cinesnob.net. You can find us on Facebook at Critic, on Twitter at Cinesnob. Uh, anything else, Cody, before we wrap this, uh, this bad boy up and send it off to the, to the presses? No, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because I think from this point forward, there's a, there's a chunk of the MCU between Avengers and maybe Captain America Civil War where I am a little bit blurry on how those movies went and what I thought of them. Uh, so phase, so I guess essentially phase two of the MCU Um, I'm, which, which by the way, we didn't say, but this is the conclusion of phase one. Oh yes. uh, Yes. Of the MCU. But like Iron Man three, the Thor, the dark world and, uh, age of Ultron. I have almost no memory of, and, uh, I'm very interested to see what phase two brings. Uh, all right. On that note, I'm Jared Kingery and I'm Cody Villafonta. Bye.